Intensely Inquisitive, the podcast that searches for answers to life's big and not-so-big questions from the people qualified to give them with your host, Orion Kelly. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to Intensely Inquisitive. I'm Orion Kelly. At the core of this podcast is a desire to understand things on a deeper level, so to know more and ask why. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education, and growth opportunities through open, honest, and inquisitive conversations. Now, in this episode, we explore the topic of mental health. My guest is Matt Runnels. Matt is the founder and CEO of Mindful Oz. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. No, thanks, mate. I appreciate the opportunity, and um, I love any opportunity that we have to start meaningful conversations, especially down there in Gippsland, mate. So that means a lot to me. I'd love you, for those listening that may be unaware of your story, would you mind sharing with us your story and telling us a bit about how Mindful Oz came to life? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, obviously, it's uh, for anyone that's listening, it is a very, uh, there's a lot of trauma involved and there's a lot of talk of, of suicide. So first and foremost, need people to understand that. It's not something that any ever gets any easier to tell. It's um, something that I just believe that in hope that it'll help someone else and hopefully you can use these experiences for the betterment of someone else. So yeah, unfortunately for me, my journey started with mental health and suicide at the ripe old age of 12 when I lose my first mate. Having no understanding, no education around mind and behavioural health at that time and being so young and not a worry in the world, it was all of that that led to my spiral out of control. And, you know, you live in, grow up in such a supportive and caring environment uh, surrounded by parents and a brother that, as far as I'm concerned, are my best friends. And I've grown up with the best of everything, with always had the opportunity to succeed or excel at anything that I wanted to do or, or try my hand at anything that I wanted. So, you know, and I understand that a lot of people don't get that same upbringing. So for me, that, I think it's a really important part of the journey to list. And probably because of that, I grew up starting to experience some mind and behavioral health challenges that I wasn't familiar with, wasn't sure how to articulate. And because of growing up in such a supportive environment, I believe that I had absolutely no reason at all to share those thoughts and feelings um, because I shouldn't have any reasons to whinge and complain about my situation when there's so many others that are worse or off. So for years and years and years, I suppressed that emotion, mate. And those feelings and to be honest I wouldn't have known how to articulate them anyway because we were never taught and I think that that's a really big part of the journey as well and you know at the age of 16 I'd lose another mate and at the age of 19 I would lose another mate to suicide and unfortunately when I went out in the real world into plumbing I met with uh, a horrible boss both physical and emotional abuse day in day out um, and the thoughts started to get really dark and, and really uh, tragic for me um, and so you do what any 19, 20-year-old would do when they're in that situation and they don't know anything else other than to support them and that's therapy and medication. And so, you know, I did what everyone suggests you do in Australia and that's go and talk to someone. And while it was one of the best things I ever did, it was also um, I wish I had known the tools and skill sets that I know now because therapy and medication is not the be-all and, and end-all for helping me get out of those situations. So, you know, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety at the age of 19 um, and experiencing severe sleep insomnia so I was pretty pretty bad at one stage there I'd, if you can call it a personal best losing 13 kilos in seven days through sleep deprivation so I wow. was walking around pretty slim mate and um, yeah I was fading away to nothing and that's what stress does to you that's what overwhelm and fear and panic does and we're seeing a lot of that stuff now which is really breaks your heart so unfortunately between the ages of 20 and 29 now I would lose a further seven mates to suicide and in between the ages of 20 and 24, I'd have four very real and serious attempts at my own life. And in 2012, 2013, I found myself bouncing from gutter to gutter, street to street. I was homeless for three months. So this was in far north Queensland. And 
yeah, I believed that every single person I come in contact with would be better off without me and that I was a burden on the world. And when you have a core limiting belief system like that, you can understand why people have chronic thoughts of suicide and this world would be a better place. So, yeah, for me, mate, that's what how the journey started. And it was only that I started to get really passionate about the people and the mates that I'd lost that I started to put up a few posts here and there just expressing my thoughts and feelings and people really resonated with that and I thought that hang on there's a there's something in this um and so that I went out and started doing it more often and more frequently with several different organizations and helping out where I could and the passion just really grew for seeing what you could really do with when you step in and own your story and don't hide from it so yeah mindful Oz was a facebook page in january of 2016 and it was designed to just help people find their voice the same way i had um, and share their stories of hope healing and recovery which i believe is really important and um and through that it organically grew into what it is today and we have a massive focus at mindful Oz as a non-for-profit charity on being relatable being authentic and a real useful approach to talking about our emotional wellness so we work with kids as young as three and four in primary schools we work with supporting the people around our kids so yeah i think it's really important that we start as early as possible and mindful is now four years in and we've operated in 38 states three countries around the world and delivered to over half a million people um, workshops trainings and yeah programs so it's a really exciting journey, but there's a lot of work still to be done. Yeah. And I hope this doesn't sound weird or odd to people, but I'm actually really excited about this conversation. I hope that doesn't sound strange. I mean it because it, it seems like this is a, a conversation that we can all not only learn so much from, but we can all hopefully relate to in ways that can only be beneficial. And the whole point of this podcast is open, honest conversations. So there'll be no, you know, no pulled punches in this conversation. And I'm glad we've got off to that to that start. It's super important people understand not only themselves, but accept who they are and then take the responsibility to, to go forth and improve themselves on a daily basis. So this conversation is going to be fantastic and I can't wait to get going. I just want to quickly talk about, you've, you've talked about already about how Mindful Oz came about and how you like to start at the start, which is obviously our future generations coming through. But what's the kind of core roles and the services that you and your team do at Mindful Oz? Is it just talking based or? No. Nah. Now, so Mindful Oz's purpose is to encourage those in high-risk areas of suicide and mental diagnosis of Australia to put uh, wellness back in their own hands, enable them to find their true value, their self-worth, purpose and belonging so that they not only get by and cope but live and lead healthy, happy and fulfilling lives the same way I do. And we do that through our reach across high-risk areas like I spoke about, which is blue-collar industries, which for lack of a better word, working to reduce the stigma in construction, farming, sporting club cultures who predominantly refrain and recoil from conversations around mind and behavioural health. So we have a blueprint to wellness workshop and a lot of speaking gigs and evidence-based training, both mental health first aid and youth mental health first aid that we operate through those places. We also work in regional and remote communities and that's why we're a big one for working down in Gippsland where I've lost seven of those 10 mates and uh, our children and our youth. So we work with kids as young as three and that's a proactive and early intervention approach and within kindergartens, primary schools and, and then secondary education environments to change that dialogue for them, to help them identify, control and express their emotions in positive and healthy ways. So, And like I said before, we support the teachers and the caregivers through that so that our kids are equipped and not going back into toxic environments just with the skill set that we've taught them. So we have a Healthy Hearts and Lighter Minds program that we operate throughout primary schools and kindergartens. And as I said, that's working with kids as young as three, trying to um, articulate our emotions. As I said, there's a big misconception that 
you know, especially for men that they don't want to talk about their thoughts, feelings and emotions. And that's not true. You know, given the right space and given the right people, we will, there's not someone, there's no one that I won't tell my story to, but you have to be able to articulate what you're experiencing. So we work with kids as young as three, trying to get them to identify, control and express their emotions. So we talk about the five core emotions in the human face, and that's fear, joy, disgust, sadness and anger, with the sixth one being shock and surprise. So these all are associated with colours as well. Um, and different articulations. So it helps the kids express what they're going through and label what they're going through from a very young age. And obviously that conversation changes as you get older, which helps people uh, start talking about these things in a really relatable way that's easy for them to get up and off their chest. And that's really important, um, especially knowing that suppressing emotion is what led me to my destruction. Exactly. And I think exactly what you you just spoken about just sounds so amazing and so game-changing. And I know you're super passionate about teaching the next generation. Emotional literacy, it's a big priority. I'd love you to explain what that actually means and why is understanding our own emotions still a mystery to so many? I mean, I'm assuming it's a cultural thing, people listening to this podcast in over 80 countries, but we're in Australia. I mean, you know, I'm assuming there's there's culture involved, but can you explain emotional literacy and why understanding our emotions is still something that's just like a mystery to some? Yeah, well, I think emotional literacy can be explained in so many different ways, but for me, it's just the ability to firstly understand our emotions, which I don't think a lot of us do. It's being able to hold space for others and, and learn to empathise. And I think that that's something time and time again what I do in my workshops is, you know, you don't ever want to make people feel guilty for not having the skill set that they need. But we're notoriously bad at listening. We're notoriously bad at it. And, and when, you don't, when you can't listen, um, you have no empathy for that person. You can't support them in the way that makes them feel supported to get those thoughts, feelings and emotions up and off their chest. And that's really important and ex- express our emotions productively and safely. Um, and I think that that's really important, as I spoke about, with labelling and validating our emotions and knowing that they all exist to create something more beautiful for us and their action signals for change. However, we remove and suppress and numb a lot of these emotions because we believe that they shouldn't exist. However, everything that happens to us in the 1,440 minutes in a day adds up to us being a better person tomorrow and being the person that we were born to be and the difference we were born to make. So, you know, I think that's emotional literacy for me and I think that that's really important to help these kids as young as possible like what we do at Mindful Oz is so that they can believe in themselves and be more of themselves and learn to love themselves a little bit more. I mean, these little kids show us a true meaning of life and that's to have energy, to bounce, to create, to have an imagination and most importantly not to give a crap what other people think about us. But as we get older, they, we lose that as adults. We lose that. And our society and culture paints this picture that we have to do do this, be this, and say this. And that's what stunts a lot of people from being the person that they really need to be. And when you're not living in alignment and you're not operating out of the person that you're destined to become, that's when we see a lot of poor mental health being expressed. And, you know, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard from Dr. Bart Andrews in America, who's a, a psychiatrist, psychologist, professional, Um, says when we see a lot of mental illness being expressed it's a sign that the community is sick and not the person itself and I think that that's 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 a a beautiful way of putting it and I think when we all have the emotional literacy um, and understanding and emotional resilience and emotional awareness around what it looks and feels like to be well and to not be well well then um, we can all show up in the world with the things that the human being is wired for and that's love belonging connection and contribution and I think that that's really really important. I mean, that has to ring true to so many people when they, if they actually stop and, and look at their lives and what they're doing. Sometimes people refer to it as the golden handcuffs. But, you know, if they kind of look at their, their life and they realise that it's really all just about living it 
for others or to please others or to you know, to get the approval of others and then they wonder why they don't like their life at the moment. It's a really great way of looking at it with the community the community being sick rather than the individual. This idea that we put so much time and effort into into basically doing things we don't even want to do just because it's easier to say yes than no and you know we, we want to get approval not disapproval the herd mentality so it's, it, it has so many levels to it and starting at the start with with new generations with the the literacy but also emotional resilience and it's it's really interesting Matt because we I feel like we're in a time where kids six-year-olds aren't allowed to win or lose footy games but we're teaching them emotional resilience when I was a kid, when you know, when I played footy or soccer, we lost or we won. Like there was a result. These days, you know, kids are playing sport. It's more about the fun, not the result. But then we wonder how can we teach them resilience, and you know, how can we teach them real world skills? So, how important yes. is how important is emotional resilience for the individual? And as you say, the, the wider community, because sometimes you know, it, it's the wider community that is impacting the individual. Incredibly important, mate. I think it, it's detrimental to, to what we're seeing right now. I mean, you know, exactly like you mentioned it within sporting community and, and not having any losses and it's all about the fun and everyone gets participation or it doesn't teach anyone anything. What we need to do is that resilience is, resilience is only built from pain, stress and challenges. So we need to put ourselves through those things and we need to experience those things to become uh, more aware, to be better equipped, to have more education and to know that we're strong enough to get through it and that's what resilience is and that's how we build it so you don't you don't get resilience from participating no you get resilience from going through the hardships and overcoming them and navigating your way through them and guiding them and maneuvering them to not to create magic with them out the other side um, and so i think it's really important that we go back to understanding that two minutes of life stress is really important to us you know throwing yourself in an ice bath and you know I, this is just an example that i use but i do an ice bath weekly and i do cold showers every day and people will go well you're crazy but that's how we build the emotional resilience. This is how we build the six-pack on our brain. You know, we don't want two minutes of life stress, but we're happy to go through lifetimes of it Yeah, exactly. um, just for the sake of two minutes of it. Or what's a loss to a kid um, when you're playing sport because you go away and you work harder and you come back better. But instead, if you just everyone's participating and everyone's just getting encouraged for doing the right thing, there's no growth. There's no, you know, when I was in America trained at Long Beach, California University, my teacher, I guess for lack of a better word, said to me, Matt, every mistake you make this um, over the next month, I'm going to do a, a line up on the wall. And it was my growth chart. And so every mistake and failure that I made, no matter what it was, spelling, stuttering, um, lack of articulation, whatever it was, swearing, whatever it might be, he put a growth point up on there. And he was encouraging me to make a thousand growth points a week. And, and then with that, become um, there was incentive. So it's every failure is what adds up to success. So Absolutely. We need to put ourselves through that situation time and time again, and that's how we learn. But unfortunately, we're babying people and, and holding everyone's hand and bubble wrapping people through every aspect of life. And that's why we see a lot of people really struggle with their mind and behavioral health is because they're not aware how to get out of situations and they're not equipped with any sort of skill set to navigate themselves through life's inevitable situations and challenges. And we're going to see a lot of that because uh, life's not easy, never has been, never will be. No. But it is simple when we put the time and effort into our brain and our mind and our behavior the same way we do to anything else. And, um, yeah, so yeah, I'm big for it. Uh, we need to start to encourage failure because and, and mistakes because that's where the growth is. When I, I like to 
I share my thoughts on my, my Facebook page and I, I must do it almost every time. You know, for me, failure, I've learned failure is my friend. Without failure, there is no greatness, there is no success. And people, Absolutely. It's, it's ridiculous though. I get quite frustrated sometimes and, you know, maybe that's my autistic brain, but it's like people have to be reminded that it's okay to fail. That's, that's something I've got to tell you like, I, seriously. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? Don't listen to me. Just, if you just go get Netflix, get, if you don't want to, can't afford it, pay for it. Just get the free trial. Watch the last dance. Can I tell you something? Michael yes. Jordan, people go, Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. Michael Jordan's a genius. No, 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 no. Michael Jordan didn't even make the high school team. He wasn't even good enough. And he went to his mum and said, Oh mum, I didn't make the high school team. And his mum did not call a school and go, excuse me. How dare you put my kid on the team his mum said well you better start working harder for next season Michael and what did he do and what did he become go through the list Rodman go through the list you tell me one player on the Bulls team in the last dance documentary that was good from the start you tell me yeah (laughs) and and that's the beauty of it it's uh we're so afraid of of being shit or being crap at something and and being shit and being crap at something is not a it's not a fixed uh position it's something that we can you know, we can get better at and do better at. And, and that's a perfect example, that documentary of people that, as you said, were not great at the start but went on to do brilliant things because they had a mindset that said it's okay to fail and they were encouraged to do so. And I feel like uh, as the years go by, that culture around failure, uh, failure is is minimal. Uh, exactly. We just want to be perfect. And my kid didn't do that. My kid would never do this. This hasn't never happened. And it's just like I know that when I grew up, my, my parents um, just – they encouraged me to fail um, and when I did fail there was always learnings in it and it was always validated and you know even when I made mistakes at school or got myself into trouble at school it was you know it was an honesty policy and and, and then there was a learning from from the mistake that I made rather than saying oh you know my kid's perfect he would never do that or my kids did this or you know lie your way out of it and that's because we don't like the learning that comes from it and that's it just becomes a situation rather than a learned experience yeah. yeah, it's so important that we encourage failure and fail often. I mean, yes. take, take, it's high accountability living. It's high altitude living is, is what I call it. Sorry, it's, a, it's high accountability for the mistakes we make. It's remaining positive through the mistakes we make and it's making as many mistakes as possible. Yeah. And, you know, um, and through that we grow. And go, go ahead and unlike the gurus on social media, guys, there is no hack. There is no shortcut to success, no. just so we're clear. The only, no. way to, the only way to succeed is to fail and constant, continuous action and passion, pushing through failures and working hard to succeed. There is no shortcut or hack. You can't buy the blueprints to so go ahead and unlike no. them. You know, seriously. Well, it's, it's like when we grew up and we were learning how to walk. Did we, did we give up after the first go and yeah, then we exactly. just the rest of our life? No, we, somehow we're all walking. Exactly. Or we've, you know, for those that are fortunate enough to be able to walk and that that wasn't fall over the first time and call it quits but no. that's the attitude a lot of us have these days is oh well if i failed once let's just pull the pin well, right. where would we be if we we had that attitude as a, as a baby exactly. you know, it's like riding a bike we can all ride a bike and that's because we got up and kept doing it that's how we wire the neurons in our brain and create that gray matter that knows that we're strong enough to do this and it's just going to take a few turns and that's, right. that's how we achieve greatness that's how we achieve anything in our life that we set out to do and you know it's why we have a lot of ent- entrepreneurs and great minds and create creative minds out there that don't achieve what they're gonna they should achieve is is because because of boredom and because of uh, failure 
And you, you don't ask your parents when you fall over learning to walk, if I can get a thousand bucks to get some guy to teach teach me a shortcut hack to, to walk. I mean, you just keep trying. Yeah. Uh, keep trying. You, you have mentioned about validating feelings. I just want to drill into this a bit more. So what's the value in identifying and validating our feelings? And and are we talking about all feelings or just, you know, just, I'm being a bit cheeky here, but just the good ones? All feelings, mate. Absolutely every single one of them. And that's what I struggled with for a long time. I bathed in a, in a bathtub and a core limiting belief system poor me this is sucks i've lost so many mates i've been through this why me um it's about understanding that every single thing we go through in life every single thought feeling and emotion that we go to bed with that we can't sleep because of is an action signal it's an action signal that something has to change it's an action signal that we need to remove something it's an action signal that maybe we can be more positive about something every single thought that comes through the mind is there for a reason and as soon as we understand that we can uh, action those things so you know, I see a lot of people that don't like meditation and, and, and don't like stillness and are on the go and in the rat race 24-7. And they say, you know, my, my mind won't let me meditate. I can't sit still for five minutes. And so it's like, well, you need to do 10 minutes of it then because every single thought and feeling that we're going through needs to be actioned. And that's how we get to the place that we need to get to. The world is happening for us and not to us. So as soon as we can understand that and have the acceptance for that, we can go on to do really beautiful things. So you know, we need to validate and talk about and identify, like you said, every single emotion we go through and know that they all add up to carving us into the person that we're destined to become. And, but only yeah. if we're listening, only if we're listening and only if we're ready for it. And, you know, I totally relate to that. I mean, so clearly I'm not your standard, normal, relaxed kind of dude. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm autistic and I'm a bit, I'm a bit energetic and, and, and I'm joining you there. I, I got bipolar disorder, so <laughs> yeah. we're both in the same boat. And I can tell you that when I force myself to sit down in a chair with my hands relaxed, palm down on my legs, and I just, uh, you know, whether it's a music or guided and meditation, I just sit there and relax and I just try and quiet my mind. And after a while, it's it's phenomenal. And you can lose you can lose all track of time. And I do find I get some really great creative ideas after. What I, what I find is the best way to, I just say I am. No matter what my brain is thinking or saying, I, I am. I don't know why I say I am. I just say There's I am. two most powerful words in the world, mate. Okay. I am and, and what follows it is even more important. So, you know, that's a that's a that, that's a beautiful technique for anyone to use. I think is is to be in that position. And you know, Australians are seven times more likely to find a negative than a positive. So, you know, if you can say I am every time you find a negative and, and rewrite that and uh, rewire that uh, the narrative in our brain every single time, that's how we become stronger and that's how we deal with our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So, I think that's a beautiful technique that a lot of people should really pick up and run with. I mean, if I can do it, you, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, love- I mean. I had, I, you know, this bipolar brain, it, you know, it's like 17% of Pulitzer Prize winners are a bipolar disorder and however many percent of 9% or whatever it is of Nobel Peace Prize winners are bipolar disorder. But for years and years and years, so many, 800,000 Australians live with bipolar disorder, believe that it's an absolute burden to live with it and it's a life sentence instead of going, hang on, if I can turn into the thoughts and feelings that I'm experiencing, I can create magic with these things because some other people have. And that's yeah. the narrative that we need to change for a lot of people, no matter what the diagnosis, whatever the challenge is. We need to be able to understand that if we put the time and effort into our brain the same way that we do to anything, go to work during the week, uh, go to the gym and get a, a six-pack on your abs, it's the same way we've got to go to the gym for our brain and put our emotional six-pack up there and, and, and do put the same time and effort into our mind the same way that we do to anything else in our world that we do well. And that's when we start to understand and start to uh, action these signals much easier and I mean, I can sit and be still these days and have no problem with it. And as you said, it's where a lot of the great creativity and ideas come from. It's where the truth comes from. 
when you sit and be still and acknowledge things rather than just try and keep going and going and going, you're essentially just suppressing all your thoughts and feelings and there's no learning in that. Exactly. And that's where my whole mindset comes from. Just like you said, I'm not accepting the, the community's medical model of being um, autistic. The community would, would have me say that I'm Orion and I have autism, but no, no, I'm Orion, I'm autistic. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not suffering from autism. Yeah. I'm autistic. Yeah. You know, I, I'm accepting who I, where the medical model tells me I'm disabled. I'm saying, well, I'm not disabled. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty creative and have some great skills. And please, can we? I, I, I'm I'm happy to hear your story as well because I think it'll resonate with more people, not just from my point of view, but from from your yeah. point of view. It's so important, mate, because when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 26, um, I walked in there and you know I was shoved around from you know 10 to 15 psychologists and psychiatrists that were too scared to deal with my severity of, of what I experienced and. I want everyone to make sure that, you know, what I'm saying right now is my journey. It doesn't have to be their journey. I've not got anything against psychologists, psychologists and psychiatrists. That's just the path that I have and it's it's reality. So I need people to understand that. You know, they pushed medication in front of me and said, Matt, unless you take this, you, you're living with bipolar disorder now. Unless you take this and pump yourself full of this medication, you're going to fall in front of the one in five suicide category. Um, your lifespan will decrease by nine and a half years. You'll feel emotions 10 times more and 10 times less than a normal brain. So basically you walk out of there thinking you're a defect of humanity instead of walking out of there with the dialogue of going, hey, Matt, you have, you're being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but did you know Ernest Hemingway, Winston Churchill, Frank Sinatra, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Heath Ledger, all these people had bipolar disorder and look what they did, mate. You know, yeah, which exactly. one am I going to walk out of that office with a springy step? I'm going to walk out of that thing believing I'm a defect of humanity. Yeah. And that's, that's a fundamental error of what's going on in this country is there's an absolute – we believe it's a life sentence. You know, we believe that there's suffering involved. Everyone suffers. Yeah. Everyone has struggles. I mean, no one's life is, is dandy. Um, no. We all go to bed with the same problems. So for me to walk out of that day thinking that I'm a defect of humanity or I'm, an, I'm a broken machine that's parts need fixing, well, I, it's not. It's not the case. What it was is my emotional needs weren't being met and – once I put the time and effort into my emotional needs and surround myself by the people that support my emotional needs and are there for me and, and fill me full of the things that the human beings wide for, and that's love, belonging, connection, contribution and growth and creativity, well, then I can live a healthy, happy and fulfilling life the way I was born to, yeah. no matter if I've got bipolar, or no matter if you've got autism. We're all beautiful people. We're all creative brains and we need to learn to love ourselves, be more of ourselves and believe in ourselves a little bit more instead of believing the narrative that's so, so paramount in this country right now yes. and every country around the world around what it looks like to live in a brain like ours and that's not fair on anyone and that's what we need to change for all these younger kids coming up that will end up with exactly. bipolar and, and autism because they are beautiful little brains and they need to be harnessed in that way and not not marginalized or suppressed because they do and see the world a little bit different to someone else and absolutely right and and that's that's why i always talk about the social model of viewing it which is that you know i i am not the person um, with a disability the social model tells me it is society that are disabling me yeah and and, so. and that's and that's exactly why it goes back to that quote of what bart andrews said about when we see a lot of mental illness being expressed it's a sign the community is sick and not the person itself because there's nothing sick about you there's nothing sick about me um, and there's nothing sick about anyone else in the community it's 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 their emotional needs are not being met and right. the thing is we so well, there's a one set menu for help and that's therapy and medication in australia but what we need people to understand is that menu has got a thousand things on it like gratitude meditation mindfulness cold exposure exercise you know nutrition all these beautiful things mm. that make people understand that 
hang on, um, I'm not broken and I don't need fixing. What I just need to do is put some of these time and effort into myself and put the wellness back in my own hands and not rely on uh, the community because the community will drop it every single time. I've got a couple more questions before we run out of time. I'd like to, I'd like to kind of hit to the core of your, your passion. So you're, you're super passionate about encouraging people to stand up against the stigma of mental illness. What does that actually look like? Uh, clearly, you mean being yourself, you're open, you're honest, you own your truth, but why are you so passionate about this and, and what does that actually look like? Yeah, I think it, we've just really touched on it. It's, it's about encouraging people to show up in the world as their true selves. No matter how weird, wacky, beautiful, crazy, stupid we believe that is, you know, we're seeing a lot of mental illness being expressed because we we don't show up in the world the way we are. And, you know, we see a lot of immune disease and, and respiratory diseases because our immune systems are weakened and that comes from not showing up in the world as the person that we are. That's when we let sickness in. So when we show up in alignment with our values, when our actions are, um, coincide with our behaviours um, and our values align with our behaviours, sorry, that's when we show up with integrity and we are who we are. And I think if we can stand up against what mental illness looks like for so many years, I mean, people will believe that bipolar means I'm violent, it means I look like the Melbourne weather, all this bullshit. And what we need to do is change that and change that narrative for every single person out there. Um, and we do that by being real and being authentic and showing the beauties of who we are and not just the struggles that we go through. And I think that's something that's been associated with the word mental for a long, long time is that it's all doom and gloom and it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, I live a healthy, happy and fulfilling life. Yes, I have struggles. Yes, I have dark days. Yes, I have some thoughts that are quite bizarre from time to time. But when you understand yourself the way you need to be understood, you can action those things and be the person that you're meant to be and identify when you are out of line or doing the wrong thing. So, you know, when uh, standing up against stigma takes every single person across the world. Uh, minor behavioural health is everyone's problem and challenge and um, duty. Um, the true meaning of life is to live in the betterment of others. And when we, we show up and live in the betterment of others, we will always be there to catch the person who's falling, however, or being able to catch them before they fall. Um, however, right now we're living in a world where we're operating for ourselves and we're seeing a lot of people fall over and we're all sitting there questioning ourselves as to what went wrong and how to go wrong and I didn't see the signs and symptoms. When we don't see the signs and symptoms, that's a clear indication that we weren't close enough or, or asking the right questions. Yeah, and I think... Being open and honest, I've found, um, and actually telling the world through my podcasts and, and my videos um, all the things that are different about me, have actually created peace and energy and happiness in doing it rather than, oh my God, why would I tell people that? And I think, you know, a great yeah. example is prior to my diagnosis, I saw a psychiatrist and they said, I, there's no way... Uh, you're autistic, you can do eye, eye contact with me sometimes and you can go to uni. And in, in other words, they were uneducated or misinformed and that these yeah. are ridiculous things to say. Anyway, before I saw another person, I just I just gave up and my wife actually said she thought I was, gen and she's a doctor, a genuinely, genuinely depressed to the point of, you know, taking my own life because I was so down from not knowing what, I'm just a bad person then. If a do mm. doctor can't tell me, you know, and then when I, when I finally sought um, a diagnosis from a professor in the field, I was diagnosed autistic and I was also diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder and also social anxiety disorder. So really three diagnoses in, in one go. And you know, in a way, um, people would go, oh, my God. But for me, it was so freeing. I was so happy yeah. to, to know me and who I was. And, you know, the stigma associated with that tells me don't tell anyone. But really, I was... 
you had to hold me back from basically broadcasting to the world through our podcasts about who I really am and how yeah. and, and how I live my life and, and, and not being afraid to tell people. And I, I think that, to me, was a gift, being able to unburden myself. It, I, I found it peaceful and freeing and energetic and... I know it's against the norm, but I think it's such such a great thing to do for everyone around you. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. I mean, I've always say in my keynote speeches, if someone was to walk through the doors right now in this auditorium and give me a cure for bipolar disorder, I'd tell them that I'm not interested. This is who I am, and bipolar does not have a cure. Therefore, I got to get to the place in the piece where, hang on, bipolar's not going anywhere, so, and neither am I. So I'm going to learn to dance with it, create magic with it, maneuver it, and be proud of it because it's much easier to live a life when you're not kicking back off something it's much easier to live a life when i learn to love it and when it rears its head and does things that i don't really like i action them and it's a much better place to live in it's much less lighter and yeah i mean nothing changed for me the day i was diagnosed all it meant was that i could go out and get a proper understanding and education around what i was living with rather than running away from what i was living with and that's what a lot of people do in this world because of the stigmas associated so i'm with you mate it's all about uh showing up and being proud of the person you are. And, and if you're not proud of the person you are because of the challenges you experience, it's head down, bum up and go to work to do the things so that one day you do love yourself because that's what this is all about. And when you love yourself, life's not as miserable as it once was for me because I do now. So, you know, yeah. we want to encourage all these young people that are following in our footsteps. As I said, they're always watching and someone's always watching us. So it's about creating that narrative and changing that narrative and dialogue to this is not one of suffering. This is one of I live a healthy, happy and fulfilling life with bipolar disorder the same way so many other people have. And, and hopefully for the next young little champion that rocks around with his diagnosis, he goes, yeah, mine's a gift too and I'm going to create magic with it. And I think that that's what this country has lacked for so long is that it's all doom and gloom and triggering and traumatic at the fear of upsetting someone else. We don't share our truths where it's just like, well, you know, what's more upsetting is me living suppressed emotions my whole life at the fear of upsetting someone. So I'm going to be who I really am. I'm going to say what I think and I'm going to do it authentically and honestly every single day. And that gives permission to other people to do the same thing. And that's exactly where I'm at too. And it's very freeing. And I think sometimes people want to be comfortable. So, you know, when I'm in public, I need to mask my autistic self to make neurotypical people comfortable. But then I think, well, hang on, that's making me uncomfortable by making them comfortable. So yeah. so when I make them uncomfortable, they get angry at me. But it's like, well, what do you think I've been doing my entire life? And I think another thing I want to talk about is employment and workplaces. Now, for me, if I do podcasts and videos and go, hi, I'm autistic and I have GAD and social anxiety disorder – you know, someone would say, well, mate, you're unemployable. You, you, we can't give you a job. You've, you've just said you've got all these things. What do you What do you want us to do? Like, how can we employ you? In, we, we've come so far in life, but where do you think we're at with regards to acceptance and support for those, for people like, like me, like you, mental illness in general, people who are just neurologically different even? Where are we at in the workplace? I mean, we've come a long way. I shouldn't be as harsh as what I sometimes are. I guess I believe in just something better and that's why we keep working towards it. But I think we've come a long way and the conversation's there. There's going to be people that turn and shirk and recoil at the fear of what we experience. But I think there's a lot of beautiful people out there that can understand now. I think, you know, it's very hard to meet someone these days that hasn't been touched or know someone or indirectly or directly affected or impacted by mental health or suicide. So I think it's, um, you know, we're moving in the right way, but there's so much work that can be done. You know, what a time we're living in right now where we're seeing a lot of stress, fear, panic, worry, overwhelm, um, unknown. So, you know, what a time for workplaces and employment places to and organisations to do some work on, uh, on boosting uh, the understanding and education and skill sets of our workers 
to to make people feel comfortable in these environments to be who they truly are and I think that's where we go wrong I think we're we're so reactive to something going wrong before we do it rather than going hey you know what I'm going to create a, a workplace here that supports all different shapes sizes and people and You'd be ignorant to think that these workplaces actually understand their workers at the very core and, and that's what we go in and do at Mindful Oz is, is it's to shift that conversation and that narrative so that people can show up in their workplaces as they truly are. And that's when we see less absenteeism, we see more work productivity, we see all these different things, more sales. We see all this increase. You know, it's yeah. every For every $1 spent in a workplace on mental health and wellbeing, we see a $7 investment. You know, that's a no-brainer. Why aren't we doing these things flat stick in our workplace so that we can – create environments where no matter who walks through the door at the next job interview, they can they can be proud with a smile on their face knowing that, hey, I'm in a really supportive environment here and what I go through is not going to uh, challenge my workload. It's not going to mean that I have to have less roles or anything like that, but that definitely is a fear of many people. I know that, you know, I mentioned bipolar disorder to, to anyone that wants to listen to me and I still see the recoil in people's faces and the chairs push back when I say it, and that that still that means that we still need to do more work, and there still needs to be a change around that. Because uh, as I said, imagine having someone like an Ernest Hemingway or a Winston Churchill in your workplace that lives with bipolar disorder, and you shift them away because you believe that they are uh, they don't have the skill set to do the job. Which is uh, you tap into the their place of wellness and, and watch them rock and roll. They they're beautiful people. Yeah, neurodiversity. It's a win win. There's no question about it. You mentioned uh, coronavirus and the worldwide pandemic. Do you have a reading on how it's impacting the wider community with regards to mental health? Yeah, huge, mate. Um, you know, I can only I don't I know that this will broadcast to a lot more people than the place that we're living in right now. But to to in Australia to think that we've had over 1,200 suicides since coronavirus has been here is is up like 200 percent. Australia has about 3,020 lives last year lost to suicide whereas this year we'd already met that by june and july uh, yeah three quarters of victoria or two-thirds of victoria was the last stat that i got that was going through experiencing minor behavioral health challenges and stress and overwhelm which is paramount and you know they're expecting 400,000 people to be hospitalized by minor behavioral health challenges during covid which is yeah it just breaks your heart mate i mean i've lost two friends to suicide in the last four weeks it, it just breaks your heart to know that people are out there struggling with their minor behavioral health and it's it's not about the fear and worry and the panic of coronavirus. It's more because people don't have the structure and routine. I mean, we're being locked up in a house and we've only got 60 minutes a day to be outside exercising. You can't socialise. We're isolated. All these things are what breaks down the immune system. So I don't agree with any of it. That's my own opinion um, because I care about the people that I'm losing. Um, that's why my opinions form. So we need to be doing more to, to understand. We just don't have the skill set to be stuck away in our house and stay well. We don't have it. Only so few do. So, you know, isolation is the biggest cause of depressive symptoms and yet that's what we're doing right now is we're isolating everyone. And we have people that, you know, they say you, you can reach out via phone and telephone and uh, Zoom calls, but you can't find love, belonging, connection the same way you find it when you can see the core human emotions in people's faces, um, when you can't hug, when you can't share intimacy. All these different things are what fills the body up with what we're destined, uh, which which what is the fundamentals for a human condition. So, you know, we're, we're stuffed away in our houses at the moment and it, it breaks my heart to know that people are sitting in there in environments, toxic environments for some people without a skill set to, to let them know that they can be the strength to themselves that they need. And yeah, we're going to see a lot of problems being expressed over the next up to five years, mate. This is going to have long lasting effects on a lot of people and suicide numbers are through the roof and it breaks your heart. Yeah, 100%. And this is one of those podcasts I reckon people will have to listen to a couple of times because there's a lot to digest. 
But to finish off, what do you want people listening to this podcast to take away from our chat today? Because we've talked about so many things, but I think really there's some fantastic messages that I hope people can take away. Yeah, there's probably two. And and um, on the first one, um, we spoke earlier on holding the space for others. And I, I think that that's the fundamental thing for uh, a lot of Australians that we need to improve on. And that's there's going to be four steps here for anyone that's listening on how to hold space for people. And that's firstly, that's the reflex head nod. When we're having a conversation with someone, that's the head nod that bobs up and down when as they speak intermittently that says, I don't know what you're saying or talking about and I might not understand it, but I'm listening. And it encourages people to get those thoughts, feelings and emotions up off their chest. The eye contact, the eye contact that says that when I'm looking into your eyes, I can see my reflection back and I know pain so for the same same way I don't want pain for myself I don't want it for you so I'm going to continue to look into your eyes and let you know that I'm listening and no one else exists to me right now because I'm locked into your conversation because I care about you and I think that that's really important and one thing we're not good at and then it's the listening with no intent to reply no judgment no criticism no comparison no advice and no answers just the ability to, to hold space, to stop, to listen, to allow them to get all those thoughts and feelings up and off their chest without interruption. And I think we're also very bad at that. So these basic skill sets are how we have a proper communication with someone. This is how we build connection with someone. This is how we build comfort in a conversation so that people can get everything that they're going through up and out into the open and everything in life is much easier done when we share it with someone else. And a pain shared is a pain halved. So uh, just on a final note, everything in life is, is happening for us and not to us. And although we're going through some really challenging and, and severe times right now in so many different ways, please just know that if you tap into the strength of who you really are, all of this is carving you into the person that you're meant to become. And out the other side of this is going to be something just 10 times more beautiful than the one that walked in. And we're all in it together. So yeah, continue to reach into people. Don't wait for people to reach out. We can't be expecting of those that are unwell to scream from the rafters that they're unwell. We need to be checking in on them as much as we can and, and, and looking really closely as we uh, as close as we can right now for the signs and symptoms that they're not doing well. Yeah, it's a tough time and it's uh, one that breaks your heart and will for a long time. But yeah, we're, we're only as good as the information we know in the, in the situation that we need it. So go out and learn about these things. Go out and learn about the mind and the behavior and Go out and learn about depression and anxiety because there's, I can guarantee you there's no one listening to this that doesn't know someone that's got that got those two diagnoses. So we're only as good as the information we know. So let's go learn about it and be the best we can for the people around us. So good, Matt. Seriously, I appreciate you, my friend. And check out the Mindful Oz Facebook page and website. It's It's been an incredible chat. Uh, thank you. Thank you, my friend. It's just, I can't thank you enough. It's been an extraordinary time to talk to you about this, and I really do appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, mate. And as I said at the start, I'm just very grateful for any opportunity that we can start these meaningful conversations and, and to hear you and the way you experience autism and, and rock it and, and use it as a real gift and platform for people to be encouraged rather than discouraged by their illness is, is a very beautiful thing. So I'm very grateful. My guest was the incredible Matt Runnels, the founder and CEO of Mindful Oz. Intensely inquisitive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Intensely Inquisitive. My hope is that it's empowered you in some way, be that through learning new things, inspiring you to learn more and take action, or simply sparked interesting, deeper conversations. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you, so feel free to like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook, or you can send me a message on my website at orionkelly.com.au. That's O-R-I-O-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com.au. And if there's a topic or question you'd like me to explore on an upcoming episode of Intensely Inquisitive, please send me a message on my website or post it on my Facebook page. And make sure you check out my YouTube channel, 
where I share personal insights and experiences being autistic. And you can find all my videos and podcasts on my website. Until next time, keep asking questions. Thanks for listening to Intensely Inquisitive with Orion Kelly. For more episodes and to stay up to date, like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook.